We're going to continue our series today on 2 Peter. So turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 10 through 22. We're going to start at the second half of verse 10. In writing, Peter says this, speaking about people that are not doing right. He says, they are daring, verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 2, and self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Verse 15, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. 17. These are springs without water, mist driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if, verse 20, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled <clears throat> in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. It has happened to them according to the proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Lord, help us as we study. All right, not a very happy passage of Scripture. <laughs> Whenever you go through an entire book, you don't get the privilege of just picking the passages to make you happy. You have to really get it all in context and what the writer was trying to convey. And Peter was doing everything he possibly could to help protect the church. He loved the church. And he wanted to make sure that the church did not fall into deception from people who did not have its best interest in mind. Now, if you've been here long enough, you know that we do not use this platform as a moment to rail against anybody. There are too many good things that need to be said rather than spending my time talking about all the mistakes that are being made by folks out there who aren't doing right in ministry. So I don't spend a lot of time on that. And as the federal investigators who are over the counterfeiting and making sure that our currency is, is as it should be, they spend more time looking at the real than they do at the fake. Because if they can study the real long enough, they'll be able to identify the fake. So my job is to present to you the real so that when you smell something that's not right, when you sense something that's not right, you're able to say, ah, that's counterfeit. But in order to identify sometimes what it is, meaning categorize it in a certain vein, 
Peter then says to the church that may not be near as acquainted with what it means to not be deceived, he says, this is what it looks like. Now remember, most of the apostles did not have the opportunity to live in the environments of the churches they established. We don't know whether Peter visited any of these congregations. And this is Pamphylia, Phrygia. There were a lot of different places to which he was writing. We don't know whether he ever visited. We know that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, never went there. We know that when he wrote to Rome, he hadn't been there yet. He was going to come, but he hadn't been there. Even the churches which Paul established, he only stayed, I think Corinth may have been the longest, a year and a half. So we're not talking about people that had an opportunity to identify the genuine long enough. And there was no New Testament. So they had nothing to refer back to as to, is this right or is that right? It was still being written. And so now we have some identifiers whereby people can say, oh, that's what we shouldn't believe in. And this is what Peter is trying to do. Help the believers understand what deception looks like. And he says the people that are peddling this gospel, that do not have the church's best interest in mind, they are daring, self-willed. The title of this message is what happens to the self-willed. We need to be people that are Submitted to God's will. We submit our will to His. We want His will done in our life. We don't want our own. We've had enough of our own. Ours didn't work so good. We know how to make mistakes really well. We are very good sinners. Following our own will has got us in the place where we knew we needed a Savior. So we don't want to be self-willed. But these so-called ministers are self-willed. Daring. And they revile angelic majesties whereby angels who are greater in might and power than they are don't dare to bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. They don't have any stop signs. There are no yellow lights any place in their soul. They think they can do what they want to do anytime they want to do it. And dealing in spiritual environments is dangerous, y'all. You better know what you're doing. When you're talking about angelic majesties, that they are reviling and that the angels did not dare bring a judgment against them. They're talking about demonic beings, folks, beings that fell from glory and no longer had the privilege of staying in the presence of God and now whose only aim is to destroy everything that God created, including humanity. And these ministers feel that they now have the privilege because they are somehow feeling it that they, they got the, the anointing and the power that they can just go ahead and say whatever they want to these beings of, of, of authority and strength. And you've got to be extremely careful in these environments. Do you remember, you remember Acts 19 with a couple of fellas called the sons of Sceva? Didn't work out so well. They had a buddy of theirs that needed some help. He was inspired, possessed, moved by demons. And he was very problematic, unmanageable by anybody, including himself. And so they had heard Paul preach, and they had seen what Paul had done. And Paul was casting out devils left and right. And so they got the formula down. They got the mantra, the magic words. There's nothing about Christianity that has magic words. You can pray any prayer you want. And thinking that somehow you slapping the name of Jesus on it makes it holy? Does not. There are no magic words in Christianity. It's all about relationship. 
If you do not have a relationship with him, then you cannot pray in his name. Because in his name means more than just reciting J-E-S-U-S. It means praying under the authority of the umbrella that all he approves. And if you do not pray under that, then you are praying out of his will and you're going to get a big fat no. He's not going to give you an answer that you desire. Well, these fellas thought it was a mantra. They thought it was a, a slogan, like open sesame. So they find this fella, and they all come together, all seven of them. And they look at this fella, and they say, okay, now, we're going to do this. Let, 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 let's, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. They had, they had, they had the words right. And the demon looked at him through the man and said, now, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. What's your name again? And proceeded to beat all seven of them. Tore their clothes off. Sent them out of the building naked. Messing with angelic beings that have fallen without respect. I'm not talking about fearing as in coward. I'm talking about a genuine respect of understanding the authority that they possess as a result of Adam giving it to them and you. Mankind has given them the reign of the planet and Jesus has been trying to take it back through the authority he delegates to people who have relationship with him. But there are no magic words and thinking that somehow simply because you felt it one moment and that when you began to speak, something beside you was speaking through you and it was the Holy Ghost and the unction, you got to be careful. Simply because you felt a moment, in, in, anointed in one moment, doesn't mean you can just let it flow over into others. You better make sure that you are dealing with respect in these environments. These ministers are daring. They have no fear of God on them and no fear of the environment, no healthy respect for what they're dealing with. Secondly, they're demented. They got some issues in the brain, like unreasoning animals. Born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. They are working on soul power and not being led by the Spirit. They're working on their instinct. And sometimes it's difficult for the, for the unsensitized and the unspiritual to discern between Somebody who is anointed in song because they've got so many licks and runs. And somebody who is not anointed in song. Simply because somebody is talented doesn't mean they're singing by the Spirit. I don't care what songs they're singing. And the ability to do things with your voice that make people stand up might not make God do anything. Not impress him at all. There's no praise and worship going on. He, they're just talented. And so there's a way to be inspired from the soul and sound like somebody at times who is inspired by the Spirit. But the discerning can tell the difference. And these ministers who are not being led by the Spirit are being led by their instinct. And the soul is not refined enough yet to be the, the, the determiner of the direction in which the people of God should go. The soul can't do that. Your soul can't even determine the direction you should go, much less being lead, leading somebody else. We must be led by the Spirit and allow our soul to follow that. Absolutely critical. And these folk don't know the difference or don't care. 
And they are headed by their way to destruction. They're on their way to destruction. Thirdly, they are daytime rebels. Daytime rebels. Most folk who do their dirt do it at night. They don't want nobody to see. But these, they don't mind everybody knowing how messed up they are. They are bold in their sin, bold in their proclamation. They are stains and blemishes among you, and they are promoting deception. These are people that we need to stay away from. Now, Peter is giving as best he can a very clear understanding of what happens to people who live like this so that nobody will will follow their deception and nobody will become like them. If you are going to do bad, it is bad. But do it all by yourself. Don't let anybody else follow you. And don't encourage anybody else to follow you. Do bad all by yourself. Because when you begin to influence others in your bad, there is a judgment reserved for you. Hear me. That goes beyond just the judgment that you do because you do bad all by yourself. God cares about his people. Jesus said it like this. Woe to the person that causes one of these little ones to stumble. It would be better that he had a millstone tied around his neck by a thousand pound rock and thrown into the sea than he caused one of these little ones to stumble. Influencing others to do wrong is dangerous. And and, and, and these aren't fun sermons to preach, no. I, I, I like to talk about God's mercy and his grace. I enjoy that. But you don't understand anything about his mercy until you understand about his judgment. Because his mercy doesn't make sense unless you understand that he should judge. And when you understand how much he should judge and how that judgment should look and how swiftly he could do it, then his mercy becomes amplified because he does not extend his arm of judgment. And here, Peter is trying to explain, this is what judgment looks like upon people who do wrong. Church, don't follow them and appreciate the fact that you aren't under that kind of judgment. He says they're promoting their own deception, stains and blemishes. They're marring the look of what the church should be. Then he said they are, they, they are, they are donkey-inspired. There was a prophet named Balaam that he talks about here. And Balaam was a... But Balaam's one of the most interesting guys in the Bible because he was not a part of the people of Israel. All we know is that he was the son of Baor, whoever that was. And most of the people to whom and through whom God spoke were part of Israel. They were part of the covenant line, whether it be Adam or Enoch or Noah or Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the people of Israel. But we've got this guy, Balaam. He just shows up from no place, and he can hear from God, and he's a seer. And, and he's one of the principal prophets in the Old Testament to say something about the Christ child. He's pretty amazing. But this guy, Balaam, had some problems on the inside. Do you know gifting is not enough? Gift, gifting is that which is given. 
Was that difficult? That's the definition. You didn't earn it. It was gifted. And when God gives you a gift, he's not impressed when you use it. Because you were given it. It's his. He gave it to you. What does make him go, my, my, is when character begins to grow to steward the gift well. That's when he gets impressed. When you lay down your lives, when love is extended on a regular basis to people who are unlovable, when you forgive those who hurt you, when you do not lash out, when you understand what it means that Christ wants to grow in you and become, help you become what you should be when he thought about creating you. When you never stop maturing, you never do arrive because every day you're saying, Jesus, I want to be more like you. That impresses him. Character. Balaam didn't have a whole lot of it. So as the people of Israel came out of Egypt, they were wandering through the wilderness. And they had to wander because they had all these animals. And the animals would eat up all the grass. They had to find some new pasture. And they wound up near these people called Moab. And Moab was concerned that they won't come and destroy them. Well, they... God wasn't interested in destroying Moab. Moab was on the other side of the Jordan. Wasn't interested, but they were concerned. And so they realized that these people were unusual, that God opened Red Seas for the Israelites, and there was no army on the planet that could stop them. So he needed spiritual help to stop them. So he went and contracted the king of Moab. His name was Balak. Went and contracted with a guy named Balaam, who was his prophet. And he, he, he sent his messengers and said, I need you to come and curse these folk for me. This is the only way it's going to stop this foolishness. They are righteous. They are good people. Their God is great, but I need you to curse them so they can't take over my stuff. And, and Balaam goes in. He says, I can only say what God tells me to say. And after the messengers give him the word, he goes into his prayer closet and he says, God, what do you, what do you want me to do? He said, don't go with him. Don't go with him. Tell him to go on back home. So he goes out and says, I cannot go with you. The Lord will not let me. But what? No, no. Even if I get Half of, of Balak's kingdom, I cannot go with you. So they go on back home. Good for Balaam. Good for Balaam. Good job, Balaam. They go on home and they tell Balak. Well, Balak says, huh. Okay. Well, I, I sent my undersecretary of state. And I think I'll send my secretary of state this time. And I'll send my vice president. And I'll send my chief of staff. And will double the reward for the prophetic word. So he sends a second delegation with much more money. Balaam answers the door. They say, we're back. And Balak would like you to come and curse these people called Israel. Balaam says, let me pray. Now, what does he need to pray for? What does he need to pray for? Hadn't God already told him no? There's nothing holy about this moment. Nothing holy about this moment. All he saw was more influence and more money. What you need to pray for, Balaam, you know you're not supposed to go. And God realizes his heart is messed up. So the Lord says this, go, but you only say what I tell you to say. So he goes, <clears throat> And he sees Balak, and Balak says, welcome. Now, I want you to stand on this mountain, look over this valley, see them down there, curse them. And Balaam think, Balaam think, boy, I'm about to get paid. I am about to get paid. Now, let, let me tell you something. 
There's nothing wrong with ministers receiving a salary for a job performed well. Nothing. That is not the sin of Balaam. It is not the sin of Balaam for an itinerant minister to go places and preach the gospel and earn a living while he's doing it. That's not the sin of Balaam. The sin of Balaam is doing what you do for money. Serving money rather than God. That is the sin of Balaam. And anybody could do that. I'm not the only one called in this room. You're called. You're called to be an employee wherever you are. You're called to be a supervisor. You're called to run a business, an entrepreneur. You're called. Why do you do it? The ultimate purpose for, for why we should do everything is to honor and serve him. It is not to earn a paycheck. That is one of the base levels of living in this world. It only gets accentuated when, the, when the, the assumption that comes with being a minister is that you are intended. Your entire life is that of service to people. And because your entire life is supposed to be that on a regular basis and it's seen by everybody and assumed by everybody, which is a little bit different than somebody who runs a textile business, although before God it's exactly the same, the accountability factor is much greater. And so God says, I'm going to hold you more accountable because the people hold you more accountable in this area. And so the sin of Balaam is seen much more in the ministry than it is in corporate America. This man wanted a dollar, and he said, I'm about to get paid. And he stands up on the mountain, looks out over the people of Israel, and he says, I care, bless, 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 bless. He couldn't curse him because God just spoke right through him and he blessed him. Balak was so mad. The king of Moab, he said, hey, 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 I paid you to curse him. What are you doing blessing him? You can't do that. No, 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 no. He said, I can only say what God tells me to say. Well, okay. Well, let's go on the other side of the valley, on this other mountain over there, and maybe they look uglier from that perspective. You prophesy from there. So he goes over there, and he looked down on him. He says, I curse, bless, 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 bless. And he just blesses him again. Balak said, no, 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 no. I didn't want him to be extra blessed by you coming. That doesn't help me. So he withdraws all the payment. He says, go on home. Now, God used Balaam's stupidity in order to bless his people. He used his stupidity to bless his, used his greed to bless his people. But even in the midst of it, God was giving Balaam an opportunity to stop. Now, this is where we get to the donkey-assisted moment. On the way, he's riding his donkey, and he's going on the way to bed, and the donkey takes a hard left into a cornfield. And Balaam says, what in the world? And he starts beating the donkey. And then the donkey gets back on track, and they start going. And then the donkey rubs up against this wall, rock wall, and hurts Balaam's foot. And, and Balaam says, what in the world? Starts beating the donkey again. Gets back on track. And then the donkey starts going and lies down in the middle of the road with Balaam on his back. <laughs> now Balaam starts beating him again. I, why, I can't believe it. What is wrong with you? And then the donkey starts talking. Now, if you get to the point 
where jackasses start talking to you and delivering the word of the Lord. You probably are going the wrong way. Probably are going to, if a jackass has to deliver to you the word of the Lord, you're probably going the wrong way. I had the, the donkey says, I have never, ever disobeyed you, never taken you the wrong way. Why are you going to beat me like this? And Balaam doesn't skip a beat. He says, well, I wanted to go to the spot and you didn't take me. And then all of a sudden, this angel shows up. That had been in the way with his sword drawn when the donkey took its first left. That had been in the way with his sword drawn that made the donkey rub up against the mountain wall. That had been in the way with his sword drawn when there was no place else for the donkey to go. And so the donkey just lied down. The angel comes to him and says, you shouldn't have beaten that donkey. God cares about animals. I'm not, I'm not with Peter. I'm, I'm, not, I, I, I'm just saying. God cares about animals. He said, you shouldn't have beaten that donkey. And that donkey saved your life. Because if you had kept going, I would have killed you and left it. God tried to help Balaam. At, in, at that moment, what would have been a man's sound-minded decision? What should have been a good idea at that moment? I think I need to go home. I, th- I think I need to go home. God sent an angel with a sword drawn to me and rebuked me with a donkey. That's all the information I need. I'm going to go on home. I'm going to forget about this paycheck and just set up shop and start doing stuff right. But he was too money hungry. So he kept on going. This is the sin of Balaam. And this is the stuff that was in the church that Peter was speaking to and said, these folk are like that. Don't follow them. They don't care about you. They care about resources. They will fleece you to get what they want. Balaam didn't get his money. But it says in in Revelation chapter 2 verse 14 that Moses' army in Numbers 31 killed him. He stayed with the people of Moab and they went to war with him. And Balaam was killed. And he was killed Because when he did not have the the opportunity to curse, he taught the people of Moab how to seduce the Israelites into idolatry and immorality. He got paid. When your incentive is money, you'll figure out a way to get it. These were the kind of people that were in the church that Peter was saying, get out, get them out. Dark deceivers, mist driven by the storm. Folks for whom darkness, deep darkness is reserved. They are promoting their deception. They are trying to seduce you away and they are enslaved because they have been overcome. If you ever become a minister and you do it as a profession, never become just a professional. Everything about ministry should be organic that stems from your relationship with God. And there never needs to be a time when a minister doesn't grow. Never. Jesus, make me more like you, please. I really want to be a better homiletician. I want to speak better. 
But that is not my goal. I'm not trying to figure out how I could better parse my words on a regular basis. I spend a lot of time on Wednesday making sure that this sermon is down in my soul, that I don't need notes, and that I meditate on it and let it marinate down on me for the next four days until I come to present it to you. I work at it very, very hard. I don't want to get up here and, and, and sound like I got rocks in my mouth. I got that. But my primary job throughout the week is to be a good Christian. And that is not stuff for which I get paid. When a minister becomes professional only, then they forget about character and they forget about the relationship with God and they never continue to get free. And they are subsequently overcome by the same forces that overcome every other believer. And, and by those things they are overcome, they then become enslaved. And as a result of becoming enslaved, they dance around and navigate around things that are most important to the progress of the church because they can't speak on it themselves because they got issues in their own life. And so now it becomes more about performance than ministry. These folks were interested in performance, not in relationship. And lastly, <clears throat> this, this isn't the fun part. The folks who started this way started, excuse me, started the right way and wound up this way. It says it would be better if they had not known the way of righteousness than to have known it and fallen away. They are like the dog that returns to its own vomit and the pig that returns to its sow. The fear of the Lord needs to be administered here because judgment is real in God, yet he is so kind and so merciful that he doesn't do it on a regular basis. He extends his mercy rather than his judgment. Yet, when people shoot, choose to shun his mercy, this is what happens. Dogs, what is the point of washing a pig? They're just going to go back. These are the attitudes that these men have. And we need to shun that, and we need to shun following them. Our goal here, again, is to show you the real, and because... I live here, and you got Bibles, and we plan to be here every week for the rest of our lives. We have the privilege of always talking about the genuine, and thereby you being able to understand what the counterfeit looks like without me having to say it all the time. But this church did not have Peter on the regular, and the kind of teaching that they had on the regular may not been, have been near as mature as it should have been. And so there were things that had already crept in the church that the church did not know about, and he said, I've got to deal with this right now. By the grace of God, we will never have that problem. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And you just keep praying for me that I stay on the straight and narrow. All right. All right. Let's, let's